here in the New Relic office today with Mark Chrisman, uh, who is the a product manager at Lytics, uh, um, a local Portland startup. Marty, how's it going? Hi, listeners. It's going good. It's a crisp, cool fall day out there. We, however, are in a windowless room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a building with the best views in Portland, and uh, we are in the only windowless room, uh, I think, in the whole place. Paint, the paint job in here is pretty good, so it's not a bad room. But um, Well, thanks for coming on the pod, Mark. Uh, we used to work together at a previous company. Yeah. Um, a few years in the trenches. Right. Uh, but I'm kind of curious to ask... You, I don't think I've asked you this before. How did you get started in tech generally? Like, where did you break into the field? Yeah, so I um, got out of college with a, just a liberal arts education, didn't really study computer science. Uh, but the company I worked for was a management consulting firm that did a lot of quant stuff. Um, and they decided one day to launch a financial exchange in the wake of Enron and I went over with a few consultants and I was put in charge of uh, working with the QA team on building out tests and then ultimately moved over to work with the development team and had a hybrid engineering management, you know, uh, engineering management slash product role and did that for a few years. Quant stuff. So this is East Coast. Yeah. What what state is that? Uh, so in uh, D.C. D.C. Yeah. I've heard they have a big... Tech scene there in DC is kind of decent. Yeah, there's um, like the we worked with a consulting firm, uh, CC Pace, great guys. Um, they uh, we had a staff of like you know there's a huge office filled with people who wrote Java and various other languages, mostly a Java shop, and they um, helped us build our app. They got us going. Right. So you sort of broke in, and you're working on some of the QA side, some of the, the product side, and then was it like self-taught on the, the technical areas you dove into? Or Yeah, I mean, it was a full, like, start with an idea and build up a business. So it was me and the group of consultants doing a lot of late nights and just figuring everything out. So, you know, started off with learning, you know, Selenium and fitness for scripting tests and then figuring out how to extend libraries in Selenium with Java to do more stuff, and then uh, got a little bit more exposure on the enterprise Java side. Learned a lot about JBoss and the, um, the middleware for running it on our servers. This is pre-cloud, so right. it was just pretty cool that we had a couple of servers and load balancers and could hot swap and stuff like that. So, yeah, learned it. That was prime time, like millions of dollars of hardware right there, a couple servers. Exactly. Um, yeah, we had our big Oracle database and I, I really got started more actually just on the database side because in consulting I had to put data from a spreadsheet into MySQL, manipulate it, bring it back out into a spreadsheet and report on it. And then at the financial exchange, you know, operate, you had to build a lot of operational reports and stuff and you would do that off the stateful data in the database. Right. So it sounds like maybe in high school or early college you didn't quite have an idea, oh, I'm going to go into tech. I mean sling in Java and um, SQL, yeah. just sort of that opportunity happened when you got out. That was your first. Role. Yeah, yeah, no, there's definitely yeah the opportunity just kind of came to me, and it was pretty cool because 
you know, when you look at it, like you build a piece of code that does a thing. So you do this, you build a code that does a thing and then it goes away. And then later on, maybe it comes back and does the thing again. And for whatever reason, I thought that was really cool. It's like you could build these entities that could have long life cycles, short life cycles, um, do one or many things, you know, something simple, something complex. And I just thought that was just really cool. I know I'm not describing it very well, but it's a little bit like playing God in technology. It was yeah, just interesting. Aha moment when you see all the pieces coming together. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, more and more a common story of people finding out about tech in their first job. They're like, wow, this stuff is all possible with programming or databases. And you sort of get that first exposure on the job. So there's a lot of people who are coming from different fields and liberal arts and winding up in tech these days is because it's where all the jobs are. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. So you were at maybe a couple companies on the East coast before switching, going by coastal. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the decision to move out, um, you know, you know, totally focused on my professional life. And then, uh, my, uh, had basically like a kind of a family medical emergency thing that um, with my girlfriend that required her to be out in um, Portland uh, for an extended period of time. And it was just one of those things where, you know, she fell in love with Portland. And uh, when we came back together, it was like, you know, if anything like that happens to us, like some big emergency, like working all the time, you know, like working 80 hours a week in DC is not quite the lifestyle to absorb something like that. So came out to Portland where we've got some family and friends and, you know, uh, I ended up landing at cryptic working with you and, uh, that really kind of launched that next phase of my career. Right. And cryptic was a healthcare startup you know, located in Beaverton, Hillsborough borderlands. Yeah. And, uh, it, it was acquired by SureScripts, sort of a nationwide um, healthcare technology platform. And were you pre-acquisition or post-acquisition? I was pre-acquisition. I joined about nine months before the acquisition. So you're there for, I think a lot of people go through this, of so the sort of the acquisition process where a larger company will acquire a local company. And we, we got to grow a lot after the acquisition I think we got a lot of funding from SureScript's parent company to like build some teams. So, yeah, I remember you and I were uh, um, chatting together. You were setting up the uh, uh, recruiting services and uh, stuff so that we could push uh, our uh, job recs out onto Indeed and like the twenty other places and LinkedIn and whatnot. Um, and yeah, you've 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 hired like teams of people. Like it was. Uh, it was impressive. I think I, you know, I got about a half dozen and you just were just absolutely bringing people in left and right. Right. It's after the recession sort of hiring in a lot of places was really slow. Yeah. So we, we got this ability to hire, you know, teams and I was so excited, but I found out that it's a lot of work. Yeah. It's like the amount of telephone calls it takes to hire one person, you know, and go through all the interviews and processes. It's just, it's hard to scale that out. Yeah. No, it looked like you really enjoyed it. Like you looked like you really enjoyed finding candidates and giving them like a place to work. And I had the exact opposite experience. Like I was like, this is just grueling and right. <laughs> I just want this over so we can, uh, you know, move on. With, Get on uh, the roadmap. Yeah. Roadmap items and whatnot. Um, so had you been an engineering manager before 
moving to Oregon and Sheer Scripts? Had he been in that role? Uh, not by title. Again, the role I had at the financial exchange in DC was this sort of hybrid. I reported up to the business uh, stakeholders and wrote a lot of requirements, but was also in charge of um, working with engineering on getting estimates. And um, so there were some pieces of engineering management, um, like some a lot of pieces of product. Yeah. Some product management, right. Um, Classic startup, you know, eight different things. Right. So I feel like a lot of folks, when they move into an engineering manager role, that first like year or two can be pretty rocky well well, because it's a completely different job from like sitting at your desk and writing report sql reports or writing code or whatever um but you seem to make that transition yeah i think the most seamlessly yeah the most jarring thing was the um uh the crisis of confidence when you know before you know i i i worked my job was to manage the work uh, and define it and then work with engineering on answering questions. And it was, uh, uh, we were all commer- you know, like, like, uh, equals peers on stuff. And then as an engineering manager, like doing one-on-ones and people coming to me for like career coaching who are, you know, 15 years older than me and have been doing exactly this job for, you know, 20 years. Right. Um, it was a little jarring. Uh, that was probably the hardest part for me. Um, but the, you know, other, you know, so to answer your question, that was probably the toughest times you're in this role where people are coming to you to solve some of their toughest, often like whatever emotional problems are having at work, you know, if they're really frustrated with some aspect of a project, like you are the person they're going to, to ask for help and. For, yeah, for me, it was, you know, it feels a lot different when you're, when that's your job as opposed to just technical or project management side. Yeah. Um, so you were there and then SureScripts, the company that acquired us, Cryptic actually spun out as a small startup in the original CEO uh, to a, a company called Inly. Mm-hmm. So you were there after that. Um, and then recently moved to Lytics. Yep, downtown. At some point, you made the the um, role change from engineering manager to product manager, and I'm super curious about this because I see this happen to some people um, who are engineering managers. They like um, get very interested in or get sucked into the product side, and then they become product managers. So, when did that happen to you? Yeah, so that happened shortly after the uh, when we spun out. So, uh, at our new company, Enly, the idea was we had a we had a technology that fulfilled some use cases that we thought would be universally applicable. And uh, the challenge was, is how do you take this piece of software and map it to different systems of record and make them work in different environments? Uh, and so with that as just the general guidance, I, as the engineering manager, worked with the team we had to start working on basically those ports. Um, so using and, the same product in different environments and sort of yeah yeah finding and new markets. We had a uh, like a general manager of product and then me, but there was no real product manager. Um, this went on for you know about a year, and then these new environments and new customers we were taking this technology to, they had fundamentally different use cases and they had different needs. 
And that started becoming clear during the implementation process. And so I ended up spending a lot of time traveling to the customers and writing quick hacks on their, this was a client side product. So going to their deployment and like working on how do we fix it. Um, it's running in their hospital on their servers. Yeah. Sorry. I said right. client side for a second. But right. yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, a local deployment, you know, drop a instance in their database and run a web app on top of it. Um, but uh, so you started getting more customer involvement. Yeah. And working directly with them. And the more time I was spending traveling, the less time I was spending with my team doing engineering management right. stuff like estimates, you know, backlog grooming, all that fun stuff. So uh, talked to, uh, had a hard heart with the general manager and just said, you know, right now I'm kind of doing a bad job of two, th- I'm doing a, a bad job of two things, right. basically. Um, it's hard to be in all places doing all the things. Yeah. It's like, and I just fundamentally, like, I felt bad for my team because uh, they didn't EM, like, they're working with them. So uh, we decided, because I had the context of the industry at that point, knew a lot about the product, that moving into the product management role would be fine and uh, or would actually be a really good thing. And so I made the transition, uh, and we brought in uh, another person to do engineering management. Um, and uh, yeah, that was the transition. But yeah, born, born out of situation and need than like me managing my career. Right. And I think that's an interesting part of startups is sometimes you're wearing all the hats. Yeah. You're wearing all these different hats just because uh, how big was Inly at that time? Like 40, 20? Yeah, I was, yeah, probably 30. I was going to say 35 people. So there aren't just like dozens of people to do every job. Yeah. So sometimes you're doing both client facing and, um, and what do you think the split was between just for people who have only been software engineers or have only been engineering managers and have no idea what a product manager's calendar looks like? What was the split did you find over time between talking to customers and talking to people within your company, like internal? Um, uh, my tenure there, I, you know, I spent 40% of my time with customers and then 60% of my time internal and Again, 40% of that. So <laughs> let me make sure I get all the math right. Draw a little pie chart. 40, yeah, 40 external, 40 internal to business stakeholders, and 20 internal to like the engineering team. Um, just because we had hit that point where it was like, oh, we got to really think about what requirements, like what are the new use cases, what are the new ways that our platform needs to behave. And so uh, spent a lot of time working with our, and again, our, our development partners is, I guess, what we called our early customers. Right. Uh, so they were on the hook to spend a lot of time with us. Uh, and then that normalized out and started spending, you know, half my time with, uh, half my time with engineering, 25% of my time with other people and 25% of my time with the customer. So it kind of ebbs and flows depending on where you're at the roadmap. Yeah. I talked to one engineering manager or one uh, product manager here at New Relic, and I asked, "What is the PM role?" And they they told me, like ninety percent of the job is saying no. Which I don't know if that resonates at all. Like the customers are asking for features, and you have to say, like, "Well, I understand you have this use case, but none of our other customers do." So, 
it's sort of that balance. Um, and it's sometimes for some people, a hard thing to tell people know because engineering background, people generally want to do things for people. So it's hard to say like, no, we can't do that for you. Yeah, no, that's, uh, it's interesting because in the few places that I've worked, um, that no role, uh, bounces between engineering management and product management. Awesome. Somebody has to say no at some point. Uh, so right. there have been some times where the product managers kind of do pass through and it's up to the engineering managers to push back and inform the product manager. I don't like that. <laughs> I think it should be the product manager who's running cover for the engineering team. Um, or like, no, that schedule is not realistic given all the other stuff we're doing or some form of no. Right. Uh, and again, the, the power of no, just to extend on that, extends into um, the idea that if you don't say no, a lot of times the stakeholders you're working with will want to go direct to engineering to figure out if there's some minimum viable product or can someone do a favor or stay late. So it becomes very, being a product manager becomes very, uh, uh, it's, it's managing those no's, but also making sure that you're not um, enabling this sort of structure where then you've, you're basically the engineering teams get hit with like 30 requests from 30 different people trying to get their pet projects done. Right. So it's like no, and then like, okay, where are all the leaks in the dam, the dam of no. Yeah, there's different stakeholders like salespeople who are out selling or trying to sell a new deal if they can just get one thing to work for the customer yeah. and they have a, a big incentive to try to find a way to say yes. Exactly. <laughs> Through someone. Um, yeah, so you moved from Inley then recently to Lytics downtown. Could you say a little bit about what Lytics is and, and your role there? Yeah, so Lytics is uh, a marketing technology company. It's a customer data platform, which is the term of art for their uh, place within the MarTech ecosystem. Um, it essentially uh, connects all of the marketing. So uh, to take a step back, marketers tend to have uh, tons of different products where they're either pulling data in uh, about their customers, or they're sending data out to their customers, be it an email, a web right. personalization, all that stuff. So we're a platform that manages all those connections uh, and in doing so creates like a, a rich uh, user profile across all these different systems. What are uh, some of the inputs just like? customer information inputs in yeah. the system. So things like uh, uh, we basically look at anonymous and known users. So, you know, people who hit your website, you know, where are they going? What are they looking at? You know, what are basically like, what are your most popular um, items on your website? Um, you know, when emails go out, like which ones get clicked, which ones get traction, which ones don't. Um, what content do people show affinity for? So behind all this, we have a bunch of machine learning models that help identify patterns. And, you know, if a user likes this type of content, they probably like that type of content, which allows us from being connected to all these systems, push content recommendations out to say the, uh, a modal panel that'll pop over and say, maybe you'll like this article if it's a publishing site or, um, so on and so forth. But anyway, so it, you know, it sits between all these devices, pulls the information and runs some machine learning models and uh, produces, you know, recommendations and channel activation 
protocols that then tell you how to interact with your thousands or millions of uh, you know users every day. Right. And your role there is product manager. Yep, product manager. Um, I am uh, probably more on like that, like a technical product product manager end. So I'm, I less product manage like the web UI of like how you manage the platform, but more the data integrations, the platform, the data science, uh, the backing APIs, the power, everything. So, right. So going from healthcare IT product manager role to marketing platform, you know, automation, uh, product manager, is there a lot of overlap in the product manager role between those two pretty different industries? Yeah, I had thought that there was, but there actually isn't. Like, it's it's a very different animal. Um, uh, this uh, Linux is 100% cloud deployed, so right. just right there, um, you're dealing with an entirely different style of ecosystem about moving data. When you're on site, doing an ETL, things like that move very quickly, but or quick enough, I should say. Um, but yeah, when you're in the marketing landscape, uh, everything's you know, real time, webhooks, APIs, firing the data back and forth. Um, Are the customers a lot different in terms of how they think about the product and purchasing? Um, I mean, the buying cycle in marketing is definitely shorter. In healthcare, people take a very long time looking at a lot of right things. So that, that's definitely a difference. But once you get down to the teams that are implementing, it's the same, it's the same chaos. You know, if someone's going to buy a product and then, you know, the team that goes to implement it don't fully understand what it is they're implementing. And so there's that education piece and you're as much, you know, there's, it's from my experience, there's no like, you deliver a piece of software and people just know how to use it and it's done. Within these enterprises, it goes hand in hand with like training and rethinking about how they solve problems. And so that part actually is very similar. Um, it's just the technology and everything is just totally different in how we solve those problems. So you're trying to figure out what problems do they have? How does your product or how could it solve the problem and sort of educate them on connecting the dots there so that they're happy customers and yeah. And a lot of it has to do with, like, within marketing, the, and I hope I say this right, like, the way people normally think about marketing is uh, they generate, you know, they generate content, you know, like a picture with some words on it and say, okay, this is great. Who do I show this to? So do I show this to... Some form of advertisement or, yeah. like, a blog post that's some sort of content... Right. And so what they'll do is they'll say, you know, we should so show this to people between these age ranges and they, they come up with some gross statistics and then they show it to 50,000 people. And the way we're trying to get people to think about it and use our platform is, um, you know, this piece of content has a bunch of features and we have tools. So this blog, we can scan it for all the content in it. Um, and create a profile kind of of what that content is. And then each individual user look at their affinity for that content. And so the idea is we look at each individual user at what they have affinities for and then match them to a piece of content instead of the other way around. So it's that kind of one-to-one -one marketing concept they talk about, but it fundamentally comes back to it. It reverses how marketers think about the problem 
And sometimes that's a, you can get like the higher up people who are buying the product to get that and be like, oh, let's totally do it. And then when you work with the teams, you have to help them figure out how to achieve that reversal of thinking. Right. Analytics is, I've heard of them definitely for years in Portland is like a rising startup. How, how big is Lytics at this point? Um, yeah, I want to say 65, 70 people probably. Right. So getting closer to a hundred size and that sort of, um, growing startup. So I don't know what you call that, um, phase, but the, you have some adoption and you're kind of yeah getting new customers phase. Yeah. And no, we're right in that place where a uh, startup needs to start thinking more about like process and scalability right. and yeah. Cause when you hit a hundred. It's going to be chaotic, yeah. Without like some formality, um, yeah. So, do you have any thoughts? Just if you were thinking about giving advice for people who are interested in the PM role, maybe what what are things that skills that that are needed for the role that people might say like, oh, if you have those skills, you might um, want to check out being a PM or looking at the product management career path. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. And you gave me the questions prior to this, so like I should have been more prepared to answer <laughs> this one. But um, no, th- th- that's a toughie. I mean, it, uh, I know I got into it largely because from the engineering side, I kept looking up and uh, seeing miscommunication or potentially problems that I felt could be addressed higher up the chain such that it didn't create chaos down for, you know, my teams and myself personally. Like if you're talking to the customers directly. Yeah. Or yeah, it's like one of those things where like a customer has a really bad idea and it doesn't get caught. And then it kind of just keeps going down the chain and then it eventually gets to engineering and it's like, well, no, too many people know about it. Now we just have to do it. Right. Um, And so I just kind of, I tested out, you know, with some conversations, you know, early on when I was thinking about becoming a product manager, like, you know, when we made this decision, why? And sort of tested if my intuition was right. And when it seemed like my intuition was right, I felt like that was the place to go because I felt like there were some issues in that area that I could address. So it was just one of those things where it just felt like if, if you look up and see the, you know, the problems or the chaos within product management and you've feel like you want to go in there and try and solve them. That's a pretty good indication you want to be a product manager. Because uh, a lot of people look at the role and just go, no, thank you. I do not want eight different groups yelling at you, you know, be every single day and uh, making life stressful. But um, it's fun to be right there at the nexus of where the problem solving has to really occur. Um, right. And I'd see a lot of like on engineering teams, developers will say, you know, this is a tough decision. We need our product manager to weigh in on this. Yeah. Like if we were prioritizing this versus that, there's there's some trade-off here. And, you know, I can implement either one, but I need a decision. Yeah. So I think they're looking for some sort of decisiveness. Um, so I don't know if you feel that heat or if you're like, oh, that's, that's good that, you know, I can provide some sort of certainty or decision-making to, to a group. Yeah, no, and I, I definitely feel that um, my you know the, from the product management perspective, a lot of times, like the 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 issues that engineering brings up are great because I feel like, and then maybe it's because I came from there, but it's like 
you know, oh, you have to make these two key decisions. I totally understand what you're explaining to me, the rationale of why it should be done. You understand the problem really well. Now let me go back to the other stakeholders and figure out what to do. Right. And a lot of times it's the other direction where someone in a meeting just has a whim that we should do something that's hugely disruptive. And then as a product manager, it's kind of hard, like in the moment to correct that, you know, um, but I like it. Like, I don't know why I guess I, yeah. So become a product manager. If you're a, 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 a masochist, that's a, uh, the career path for you. Do you have any like go to, um, uh, books or blog posts, or would you recommend people just talk to other product managers or find a mentor or what? Uh, trying to get their first start. Yeah. I think uh, the mentor piece, absolutely. Um, I mean, definitely as a product manager, you're always in learning mode. So find a mentor and find people you can talk to about various topics. Um, the book, a book recommendation is probably actually, it's like the business analyst book of knowledge and the UML for business analysis. I think those two things were actually the best things for product management because the, there are a number of different frameworks like pragmatic marketing model and right. PMBOK and I think there are a few others, but what I like about kind of the business analysis organization books is that um, it just teaches you how to think through a problem or how to frame a problem. So, you know, you might go into an organization where we're doing the pragmatic marketing models, just way too much overhead for what people want to get done. Like you try to run it through the process and like, look, I just want to, I want to get three things done and go get them done. Um, and so having a toolkit that allows you to think through, either think through the problem or with UML, you know, it gives you a number of different tools where you can take something that's used for programming and actually use it to map out a business space and some sort of language. Yeah. Like a yeah. vocabulary to discuss things or a way to visualize. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've made, I've gotten so much mileage out of an activity diagram, just this circle goes to that circle goes to that decision and it really helps breaking out things. And as a, as a product manager, you have to get a lot of information across generally in very short meetings and getting very good at how to use those tools in those, um, uh, places or in those, uh, contexts is extremely helpful. Right. How to communicate big ideas quickly. Um, yeah. One thing I think is interesting is, uh, so we work together and now you're at Lytics, uh, working with Nathan Loveless, who's on the sales side over at Lytics, who yep. is, uh, an old, uh, coworkers of ours, um, from SureScripts and, uh, Cryptic. And there's other people downtown in the same building that we used to work with. So I think that the Portland is a small tech town Yeah, and you know, there's a series, there's a number of different enterprise and startup companies and people, kind of move around in groups to different places. So it's cool to see where everyone winds up. Yeah. And uh, it's definitely good to keep in touch. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of those things where, yeah, it's, I think I've gotten lunch with I don't know, probably 10 people I've worked with in the last five years, just all the last different couple places. of months. Yeah. All in different places within walking distance of uh, where yeah. I work now. So yeah, I mean, we're all, we're all pretty close together, which means I have to be really careful about the mean jokes I make in case they ever make it back to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. 
Uh, okay, so lightning round as we're wrapping up. Is there anything in technology at all? Anything you're working with at work or in personal tech that you're excited about that's come up lately? Yeah, so, um, and this isn't like a plug because we use their technology pervasively in our platform, but uh, I think that um, the cloud platforms in particular, Google Cloud, uh, the stuff they're doing to make... Um, services and functions more accessible to people who are not, maybe not necessarily code writers. So, you know, I'm, you know, I am not at all proficient at writing code, but I can go within the Google platform and get an, you know, have an API load data, run it through a data scrubbing program that they have and spit it out into big query and generate reports. And like, I can do all that writing effectively, no code. Um, and that's just, that's, pretty amazing because right. five years ago no that was you know databases and teams and web layers and all kinds of stuff you had to worry about and like you had to run it on something and that build was a server pain. from scratch yeah right. <laughs> it's like environment Install Oracle. <laughs> <laughs> normally i just run it on local host on my laptop um so i think that's pretty amazing i think that's going to continue to um develop and get easier and the number of people who will be able to start doing software augmented things in their professional and personal lives is going to continue to increase. Um, and, you know, I'm also saying that because I can't say like AI or machine learning because that's just cliched at this point. So, um, that's, I'll leave uh, that the buzzword did you right. Um, yeah. And I think we see the same thing in new relic. Like not only are we moving further and further into the cloud and using cloud services, but our customers are too. And we're, not, we're trying to help them, you know, understand if their products are working in the cloud and how can they make use of these new cloud services. So, um, for the for my teams, we're we're looking in a lot of Kubernetes um, stuff as we migrate over into the Kubernetes stack, which is you know came out of Google and runs great on their cloud and other clouds too. So, the future's cloudy. <laughs> Very cloudy. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Mark. Thank you. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Yeah, it's a good chat with you.